It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls and I certainly did not expect to be recording another podcast so soon this week. I expected it to be a quiet trade deadline with not much going on. I basically had plans coming on on Monday morning just saying, oh well look the Bulls did nothing as we expected but as the Bulls typically do, they do the unexpected. And they've gone out here and made a trade, and they've actually shipped out Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker to the Washington Wizards and have received back Otto Porter Jr. So Otto Porter Jr., someone that's sort of been rumored around the Chicago Bulls, naturally will be a fit for the team at small forward. He is now a bull, and I did not see this move coming. My brain is all over the place. It's kind of scattered. So I needed someone here to sort of digest this whole trade with me, and I've actually brought on... One of the OGs, and I say that because he was my first, or one of two of my first podcasting partners, it's Kevin Ferrigan at NBA Couchside on Twitter. Kevin, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm, I'm hoping that your audience isn't uh, too disappointed that when you said one of the, your two OGs that the, that they're not getting Mort on the podcast. <laughs> Look, he's, he's been on enough, so uh, <laughs> I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure they're not too disappointed, but Morton's had more than his fair share of appearances on the the great podcast that is Bulls HQ. So it's only fair to get you back on, and I'm not sure if I've had you on Bulls HQ. If I haven't, that's completely ridiculous on my behalf. So let me apologize in advance if that's the case, but I'm glad that you're here with me on this particular episode. I was going to say, I think I've been on maybe one other time, but uh, okay. it's, good, it's good to be back regardless, um, and uh, to, to have what I... Th- uh, what I think is good news to talk about. Um, I know we talked briefly off the air that you might have a slightly different take, but uh, we can get into that uh, shortly. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm like I said from the outset, my brain is all scattered because like I, I did not expect the Bulls to be doing anything at the deadline. I just assumed based on their position that they didn't want to take in, take on any long-term salary, that it was basically going to be impossible to trade either one of Robin Lopez or Jabari Parker. It kind of made sense to maybe make a trade for Bobby Portis or Chris Dunn or someone like that, see what you could get back for that type of player. But again, I didn't expect the Bulls to actually go out and do it, but here they are actually going out and taking on long-term salary and actually getting back a productive player in Otto Porter Jr. And if the cost is simply 
Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker, two guys who are highly flawed players, both who I didn't really like as players. And all that costs is, or what all that, that's literally the, all, that, all that you have to pay to get back Otto Porter Jr. That's a pretty damn good trade in itself. So I say that in, in I, I want to put that caveat out there because I don't necessarily love this trade, but I, I can't go anywhere. I can't go more backwards and saying it's, you know, not a good trade. It definitely is a good trade for the Bulls, but I don't necessarily see it as a home run, but like I said, my brain is scattered and I'm, I'm willing to be talked into a lot of things here. So I'm glad to hear that you actually thought this was a pretty damn good deal for the Bulls. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, really the only thing that the Bulls are giving up in this deal is opportunity cost. I, I'm not, uh, obviously, I'm not a Jabari Parker fan. I think the Bulls had already kind of made it clear that he was at best an expiring contract in their view because he really wasn't getting all that many minutes and um, the the whole experiment here had gone pretty badly and gone really about as I expected it to. I was not a Jabari guy when they signed him. Um, I was shocked that he was able to get that uh, much money, uh, even on a one, what amounted to a one year deal. But, um, and I'm also, the other thing was, and I've, I've been on this train for, uh, a little while now with Bobby Portis that if you can get anything of value for Bobby, uh, that you should probably do it because, um, he's not a guy that I would really be thrilled about paying to be your third best big man. Um, he's not going to be a better player than Lowry Markkinen. He's not going to be a better player than Wendell Carter. So he's always going to be, you know, a bench big. Um, he has no real positional flexibility, um, to play anything other than, power forward and occasionally center, but if he's your center, then that lineup is getting killed defensively. So the prospect of, you know, paying him as a restricted free agent, uh, maybe his market would have been very depressed because, um, uh, he is kind of limited and he would have been a restricted free agent, but I just would not have been super comfortable with giving him a contract that paid him in the eight figures a year. Uh, to be, like I said, a, basically a first big off the bench. And so to, to take those two, what I would think of as not being super valuable assets, uh, and get a player who is still, you know, in his prime, uh, prime years, uh, and he's, you know, paid fairly highly, uh, Otto Porter, but he has been a very good young player, um, and, he regressed a little bit this year. Um, he hasn't been quite as efficient as he had been in years past, but very good defensive player on the wing. Um, and when his uh, team isn't actively all trying to uh, destroy one another, uh, he has thrived. So I think that um, he should be a solid piece going forward. And, you know, a lot of people kind of talked about his contract as being uh, an albatross, and I just don't really view it that way. I think he's uh, a pretty... A pr- you know, has just been a really good young player for most of his career. And I don't see why um, in a new situation that wouldn't be the case. Although the Bulls lack of a point guard, and I don't want to step on what I imagine will be your point <laughs> too much, but their <laughs> their lack of a point guard probably does hurt him because he is such a catch and shoot heavy player. Yeah, definitely. And look, uh, in, in a vacuum, like I said from the outset, anytime you can get Bobby Porter or get Otto Porter Jr. for Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker, you have to make that trade. It's 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 actually a good trade. There's there's no going back from that baseline. It is a damn good trade in that sense. But I think once you sort of start to peel things back and try to work out how Otto Porter fits into this current ball situation, which is probably more my concern than Porter the player himself, 
that's where I start to have mixed feelings about it. And I, I guess you can have mixed feelings about something going down without necessarily thinking it's completely bad. So I don't want to come off here as the ultimate pessimist in that sense. But um, it, it, even his contract situation, even though the Bulls will be paying Otto Porter $27 million in 2019-20 and then $28.5 million in 2020-2021, that, and that last year is actually a player option. So we can assume he'll be opting into that deal. That, that's a pretty heavy price to pay for a 3 and D type role-playing small forward, but the Bulls aren't necessarily in a situation where they're, you know, they're paying four or five guys over $20 million. It's not like the Sixers situation where you're looking at a situation where you're going to have to be paying four guys max deals. So the Bulls aren't in that cap position. They can afford to take on someone like um, Otto Porter and his money. So even though his contract may be somewhat inflated for his production, the Bulls can afford to pay it. But my, my, I guess my main concern with adding someone like Otto Porter is twofold. It's firstly, as you sort of just alluded to there, is how does he fit on this roster given that the Bulls have, they have a point guard issue. I'm not convinced that Chris Dunn is the answer long term. And for Otto Porter Jr. being that 3 and D option, someone who thrives with having uh, possessions created for him or his shots created for him, how is he going to do in Chicago when Chris Dunn is his point guard, and then the the, point, the backup point guard options not necessarily being that great either, so that's something to consider for the, for the Chicago Bulls. But beyond that, as well, the Bulls here are really committing to a a shooting guard, small forward, and power forward starting lineup that basically can, can consists of three players that don't really create or or you know make plays for others. So just to put it into perspective, I believe Otto Porter's. Um, assist percentage is, is under 10%, which isn't good. And um, <laughs> it's never, it's only been above 10% once. And that was in, that was last season when it was 10.1%. Now to give some context behind that number, Zach Levine, a player who most of Bulls nation considers not to be a great playmaker. This season for the Bulls, his assist percentage is 22%. So it's more than double Otto Porter. And if you consider Lowry Markman too, that guy is not great at creating uh, plays for others. He's not a high assist player. He's not, he's not a great passer. It's not something that comes natural for him. So I just wonder when you sort of throw those three players together, where is that playmaking going to come from, from the guys that have been standing there on the perimeter who you'd want some playmaking to be um, out there for the team? So they're the open questions I have at the moment. But again, like I said before, anytime you can get a player like Porter for Portis and Jabari Park, it's it's a deal you have to make. Yeah, I think that's the the thing that I come back to, right? Is like the Bulls are still firmly in the rebuilding stage. I don't know. Um, I know people love Lowry, and I know people uh, I and myself love Wendell Wendell Carter. Um, but the Bulls right now are everything is really fluid. I would say um, in terms of who's going to be on the team going forward, and so I think that like getting too bogged down in terms of how everybody fits is maybe not uh, the right way to think about it at this stage of the rebuild. I think. Basically, you have to look at it like, did you get good value um, in the sort of in a vacuum? Because I think the Bulls more than, you know, say the Philadelphia 76ers who have, you know, made a big trade uh, recently or, you know, some of these other teams that are that are contenders right now or are on the edge of contention and are trying to vault into contention. Their teams kind of are what they are and they're trying to make, you know, 
to find that one move that really puts them over the edge. And when you're there, I think that fit definitely is something that you have to consider quite a lot. Um, So for instance, with the Tobias Harris trade, you know, he's a guy who needs the ball to be his most effective. um, And he can thrive in an egalitarian offense, but that's not really what the Sixers do. Um, And they gave up quite a haul of assets for him on uh, an expiring deal. Um, I don't know that that makes a ton of sense um, from a talent, pure talent perspective. I, it, it makes a, you know, a lot of sense. He's a very uh, talented scorer, but he's not a perfect fit with what they really needed. Um, whereas with the bulls, like who knows what, what their next con- you know, roster that's a playoff roster is even going to look like. Um, I think that, you know, they had what was going to be probably a lot of cap space uh, this coming summer. I don't think that they were going to they were going to be in a position in terms of how they're viewed around the league right now to add a player that is going to be a better value than Otto Porter for two. Basically, if you think about this like a free agency signing, um, it's basically like they signed Otto Porter for two years at. Uh, what's the remaining money on his deal? Basically, two years at uh, fifty-six million. Let's call it that. Yeah, it's fi- a little bit under. Yeah, so basically fifty-six million dollars. Like, I think I, you know, if they sign somebody as good as Otto Porter um, f- for a short-term contract this summer, uh, that was had that much money, but again, is only two years. I think that I would view that obviously very favorably. I mean, I think people tried to talk themselves into that with Jabari, despite there not being really very much evidence that Jabari is actually good. Um, Otto Porter has been a very good player for most of his career. And granted that was within the context of John Wall, basically getting him, you know, a lot of open three point looks and Bradley Beal doing similar. Uh, But I just think that, you know, I like the player. I like, you know, I I think he's maybe a touch overpaid um, on that contract, but I think he's good enough um, and talented enough that, I'm not mad at it. And again, what did you give up? Two years of salary cap space that you probably weren't going to do better with. And, you know, a player who I'm happy to see, two players really that I'm happy to to let walk and not have to pay. Um, So, you know, I just think about it from those terms. And, you know, is Otto Porter going to be on the next contending Bulls team? I don't know, but I think that, you know, it's not a bad thing to to flip to basically low level assets for one that I think is actually you know better. It's more talent. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I haven't I haven't looked at it from that perspective before. That you know thinking of Porter as a as a, you know a two year free agent where you bring in for two years fifty five fifty six million dollars. That's actually probably a better way to view this move. Even though obviously he'll play the last thirty or so games as a bull, but that's a pretty good way of looking at it. And and in that sense, I'm actually quite glad the Bulls actually made the move of considering well we're probably not going to be a destination in the offseason let's let's resign to that fact and let's just take it for what it is and actually go out there and bring in a player who can eat into that cap space and let's remove ourselves from not completely from free agency the Bulls will still have maybe 15 or so million dollars to go out there and spend on the rest of the roster which they obviously will need to sort of improve the around the periphery so I kind of like the fact that they came to that realization um, of course, I didn't mention this before, but typical Bulls, they did send out a second round pick in this move, which again, makes no sense to me given they were getting 
the 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 big huge deal in this trade. I, I thought they were the ones who maybe get a second round pick, given that they were the ones taking on nearly sixty million dollars in in cash or or in contracts rather, and actually got the Wizards out of the luxury tax. So I'm surprised the game, the Bulls had to give up a second round pick, but it, you know, typical Bulls, they had to do that, I guess. But I don't know. I, I was I, I think you make some good points about not necessarily viewing this from a wider fit perspective in terms of how Porter Jr. may fit with Markin and with Levine or other players on the roster, given that this still is a rebuilding situation. The roster itself is very fluid, but I still wonder if this move potentially is is the sort of precursor to something more, maybe not necessarily at the deadline, but for what the Bulls may do in the offseason. So I mentioned that they'll have around $15 million in, in cap space. I have to you know proof that number, but it, it'll be there or thereabouts, somewhere in that vicinity. And I, and I just wonder if this move... Now, in, in in acquiring someone like Otto Porter Jr. is like the precursor to bringing in someone like Ricky Rubio, who again isn't necessarily a player of age who fits a re- rebuilding timeline, but someone who the Bulls, a player the Bulls probably need now that they don't have that playmaking on the perimeter in Levine, Porter Jr. and Markin, and they really need that point guard player who can sort of set up everyone and get the ball to everyone. And I don't think Chris Dunn is that option. So I'm just wondering if by bringing in Porter, you're not only upspeeding or accelerating this rebuild, you're actually pushing it forward to the point where that ball still may go shopping in free agency in July. Yeah, it'll be, that's a, an interesting point. I, that, that would be the one, I guess, uh, if it, if this does end up being a, a, a bad move or a, a signal of bad things, I think it, it may be in that, uh, the bulls let it speed up their timeline. Um, I don't think it should. Uh, Porter is, still young enough he's uh 25 years old that you know i he's young enough to fit well with the bulls core if they decide that that's what they want to do um but i don't think that they need to say oh we've got Otto porter jr all of a sudden now we need to be all in on trying to make the playoffs i know john paxton has made noises about not wanting to have a long rebuild and he's competitive and he wants to you know be back being a winning team as soon as possible. And I mean, I, I've made this point uh, before that, uh, you know, I don't think it's bad to try to, to try to be a, people always complain about like the, that treadmill of mediocrity or whatever, and being a sixth or seventh or eighth seed and um, always being a, a first round out. And, you know, my point on that is one it's fun to watch a team that wins most of its games you know not everything has to be chasing titles all the time especially if it means that you have to watch a terrible basketball product for years and years on end um and there have been plenty of teams that have been able to build really good teams uh from that middle space i think you know the brooklyn nets are have built a team that is now in that middle space and they're you know in position to potentially grab some uh you know star players um in the off season and so i think that you know if the bulls are still patient with the rebuild and smart about it um that this could be a good thing but if they you know say okay now we have to go spend that remaining 15 million dollars um to go for sure get us a you know solid veteran point guard you know i, I don't know if that makes a total sense um you know it just depends on how how many years you're giving to a guy like a rubio or 
um, and you know how long you're tying up that cap space. I probably wouldn't want to sign anybody longer than like maybe two two years, essentially the length of the Porter contract, because um, then that gives you a nice space to reset with. Um, you know, you're, you've got, you've got two more years of Larry Markkinen's development, uh, two more years to see what Wendell Carter is, uh, two more years of Zach Levine's big contract will have, uh, kind of gone through. Um, and so you're a little bit understand where you are a little bit better, but, um, and maybe Rubio is that player. Maybe you don't have to sign him to a big long contract because he is an older player and he's still, you know, a, a pretty good player. I do worry about him from a you know, creation perspective. He's a good passer, but he's not a guy that is a threat that he doesn't pressure the defense. Um, so he, he's a good, he's going to, you know, get assists, but I don't know that he's going to create a lot of open looks for uh, catch and shoot guys uh, like uh, an auto Porter or a Lowry Markinen or even a Wendell. Um, so that, that would be, I guess, my slight concern with Rubio specifically, but I, I do think they need a point guard. It's just a matter of how do they go about acquiring one. Yeah, and I mean, look, this is a this is the uh, the drum that I've been banging on for ages because they're building around two two young big men that ultimately need the ball to be given to them for them to be effective. Larry Markkinen is basically a premier catch and shoot player. You need a good point but point guard out there to help create buckets for him. Same thing for Wendell Carter Jr. He's not necessarily the most gifted center in terms of offense for his own offense. That is, he's a fantastic passer, but. You need someone helping him in the pick and roll to set him up and, and get him easy buckets too for his own development so he can get points on the board too. So it's a good point that you make about Rubio. He doesn't necessarily bend the defense like someone like John Wall did for Otto Porter in Washington, but considering I think all the passes and the plays Chris Dunn misses for the Bulls in, in terms of setting up his big, particularly Larry Mark, and I think Rubio just bringing him into Chicago, it would be a noticeable improvement. And I, and I guess I brought up Rubio because... There's been reports out that the Bulls aren't necessarily happy with Chris Dunn or they're not enamored with him. And, you know, they may look at guys like uh, Ricky Rubio and or even Darren Collison in the offseason, which two role players who aren't necessarily the best starting point guards going around, but obviously would be amazing backup point guards. But guys, you can definitely play 25 minutes a night at point guard in. But that would be where I'm speculating they would head down that path. But it also opens up the question of, what the Bulls are doing now moving forward after acquiring Otto Porter, not only this season and not only in free agency, but what does this mean for their draft? So with we recently learned that they were scouting Ja Morant there, who is probably one of the best point guard options in this draft. So does this mean maybe the Bulls are more leaning towards going after like someone like Ja Morant if they don't land that Zion pick? So I'm wondering now how this acquisition of Otto Porter just shapes the rest of the next or sort of six months of team building going forward. I think to go back to the kind of the way I was the the framework that I'm kind of operating under for this, um, I would hope that acquiring Otto Porter, even though he is a good player, um, you know, would not affect how they're thinking about their draft strategy. Uh, because I am firmly on the best player available uh, sort of mantra as far as when you're drafting although i will say you know i haven't watched a lot of this draft class but you know i i do pay attention to a few folks that um who i've seen uh be right enough about this stuff to 
uh, trust them. Um, you know, Ricky O'Donnell is one. Um, Sam Vecini is another one. So I, I read those guys. I pay attention to what they have to say. Um, Jonathan Sharks is another one. Uh, and, you know, a lot of folks seem to be of the opinion that um, outside of, you know, Zion, there's a lot of essentially interchangeable players from a upside perspective. So then I think if, you know, you view all these guys as relatively the same, then maybe you think about fit a little bit more. Um, but I would, I would hope that if, you know, on their own board, they had, uh, somebody ahead of Ja Morant that they wouldn't just draft him because that guy also happens to be a small forward and you're worried about like how does you know what does that do for Otto Porter or geez we really need a point guard we haven't had one for multiple years like um because if you draft Ja Morant and he's not as good as you hope uh and you passed on somebody that is ends up being better than him just because you really wanted to fit a point guard onto the roster you know, then you've kind of wasted a a big opportunity to add talent to your team. So I think that that's always my concern with drafting for fit, um, especially at the top of the draft. But, uh, and again, because the rebuild is still fluid and you can flip guys and move them around as needed to construct a roster um, down the line that actually fits together. Um, I think that that's kind of how I would be thinking about that. But, you know, they really do feel like they just need a point guard at this point. Um, you know, I'm not a big Zach Levine guy, but uh, you look at the what their starting lineup now is, and it's all young guys that um, kind of seem like they mostly fit together. You know, they have holding the point guard spot open. You've got Zach Levine who can get buckets. Um, but he doesn't play defense. You got Otto Porter who is a very good defensive player. You have Lowry, who is can shoot, and Auto gives you shooting. Zach Levine gives you shooting. Lowry can shoot, obviously, um, and I think is a will be a competent defender. If he, ha- I mean, I don't think he has been great defensively so far, but I think you can see the the bones there of a uh, at the very least a competent um, power forward defender, if not like at some point a a decent one. Uh, and then I think Wendell Carter is going to be a special defensive player and also is, a, you know, a guy with a projectable shot, um, no matter what Jim Boylan has been telling him in practice. <laughs> and, um, you know, is a good ball mover, you know, smart passer kind of guy. So I, I like a lot of how the team fits together now, but they really do need probably a better point guard than Chris Dunn, who, you know, I don't hate Chris Dunn as a player. I think he's improved a lot. Um, but I think that, you know, he's getting to be, uh, basically in his prime years here and, uh, because he came into the league relatively old, um, and he's gotten better basically every year, but he still is essentially, uh, ideally he's a backup point guard right now. Um, and right. And he's essentially being stretched beyond what he's capable of as a starter. Uh, so that's the that's the big glaring hole. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were interested in point guards um, in the draft. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm wildly speculating. I have no idea what the Bulls are going to do either in free agency or in the draft. But to your exact point, positions two through to five, it sort of fits pretty nicely together, and you can pencil them in as your starting day sh- shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. 
come next season. You can pretty much lock that in unless something random completely comes out of the blue. Sort of like this trade, I guess. But um, that's why I'm, I'm positioning this that the Bulls probably need themselves a point guard, particularly if Chris Dunn isn't that guy, which he hasn't been good this season, in my opinion, at least. I, I thought he's gone backwards um, this season, which is unfortunate. I, I think a lot of it has to do with coaching, but you know, Dunn has to own part of that too. And look, Chris Dunn is going to be 25 in March. He's only nine months younger than Otto Porter Jr. So if we consider Otto Porter Jr. to be someone that's more of a mature age guy coming into the rebuild, he's not necessarily that much older than Chris Dunn or, or vice versa. So I'm not convinced Dunn is the answer. That's why I'm just wondering what the Bulls are going to be doing at point guard going forward. But it's it's clearly it's clearly a hole that the roster has moving forward. And I'm just wondering, I'm hopeful at least, that maybe Chris Dunn can sort of turn around the last couple of months of this season because... Suddenly, if he can find a way to to be what we hoped he could be, maybe not the, the top end of what he could be, but maybe even 80, 85% of that, his defense along with Otto Porter Jr. and Wendell Carter Jr. There's a lot of juniors in this roster now. That, that, that suddenly <laughs> creates a pretty damn good nucleus for a defensive team, I guess. You would have some, at point guard, small forward and center, you would actually have some reasonable defenders there. So I'm hopeful Dunk can get it together, but I'm not necessarily convinced either. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I, I think that's probably the right way to view him at this point. Honestly, like he's um, he's a role player and he's not really a starter. Um, and it is it has been a bit frustrating, especially in this recent stretch. I thought he was actually um, had really made some strides uh, up until maybe the last uh, two or three weeks. Um, but I, there were he had had some games where I really liked what I saw out of him. I think he had an, a game where he had like, was it seventeen assists or something like that? Um, or maybe yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was seventeen, yeah. Um, and I just I liked what he was doing out of the pick and roll. I thought he was making smart decisions. I, you know, I think when he's um, aggressive at getting downhill and getting into the paint and doesn't really. Um, hesitate too much yeah the one thing that he does and i think maybe uh stefan no wrote wrote about this a while ago um or maybe it wasn't him but i, th- I think it was he he talked to, about how he, frequently he like resets after a or tries to sp- split through um on the the pick and roll so he basically turns down the pick and tries to kind of snake it um and it just doesn't really work for him that often, and he does it a lot. Uh, but when he just tries to, you know, use the pick and get downhill immediately, um, I I tend to like his aggressiveness there, and it helps open things up because the Bulls are really lacking at for guys that that get to the basket consistently. Um, Zach Levine can be that guy when he's not settling for jump shots. Um, and he was, I feel like early in the season, he was being that guy a, a lot more frequently. Um, it seems like as they started to lose, he's been more prone to kind of, um, you know, settling to, to jack up long, long jumpers. Um, and I can't really blame him. Uh, I think Zach has been pretty clear that he thinks that Boylan is an idiot. You don't really even have to read between the lines very much to uh in some of these quotes that he's given to the media like where he's basically he's pretty obvious <laughs> yeah he's basically been like you know we we were doing better before when all of our guys were out and now all of our guys are back healthy i wonder what changed 
hint, hint. So, um, you know, I think that he seems pretty dispirited and it's hard to blame him. So, but when he's aggressive and when Chris Dunn is getting downhill, I, I, I like both of them as more aggressive players because, and especially because the other guys on the roster really, really need that. Uh, because, um, I think Lowry can create a little bit for himself, but he's still, you know, he's a big guy and he's going to, and he's a big guy that's, you know, a heavy catch and shoot player. So, um, he's going to need some setup a lot of the time. Uh, so, and I think Wendell can really thrive on putbacks and things like that. In addition to some of the other stuff that he can do. Um, but he can get a lot of easy buckets just off of garbage from uh, Don or Levine going to the basket. So I, I thought that Dunn did a better job of that um, and was doing a better job of that. But then just like the last, I don't know, a couple of weeks here, he's been really, really bad um, and seems to have re- regressed really badly. Um, and then there was the reporting. I forget which Chicago reporter out there basically wrote about them uh, being unhappy with him and thinking about bringing in a veteran guard to kind of push him. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what, what they're mad about. Like Chris Dunn was awful in his rookie season. Uh, so like I, you know, he, he was this, he was worse than this, honestly, when they, when they uh, acquired when they him. Traded for him. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. So yeah. I, it's hard for, for me to understand them kind of being frustrated that he's not better. It's like, well, he's actually improved a lot from where he was, but he's, you know, his baseline from after that first rookie season was he was, you know, he had one of the worst rookie seasons uh, for a guard that played a lot of minutes, you know, in a while. Uh, so, and that for a guy that was drafted that high. But um, yeah, I, I just think that he's not what you, you need going forward, but I don't know where they're going to get a guard. I mean, a, a point guard. I, I hear this all the time that, you know, there's every, there's so many point guards in the league and point guard play is just easy to find. And I'm like, well, it, it can't be that easy to find because the bulls have been without a point guard for a long time. And the Suns have been <laughs> without a point guard now for a while. And I don't know, it doesn't seem that easy to find uh, for some of these teams that are at the bottom. No, I, I agree. And look, ever since Derek Rose has gone down, the Bulls have been just cycling through bottom of the barrel options at point guard. They haven't really had anyone that's been that creative or that good and to the point where someone like Rajon Rondo can come in and actually look uh, half uh, capable. That actually is kind of an indictment on what the the Bulls point guard situation has been over the years, but they're still lacking that player. And I think just coming back to Otto Porter, I think they really do need that dynamic option on at point guard because... Porter, like Markkinen and like uh, Zach Levine, isn't necessarily the greatest... Uh, he doesn't have the greatest ability of getting to the free throw line, so his free throw rate isn't good. So that's a, that was a problem for the Bulls team just in general. So Porter isn't necessarily helping that situation. He's going to only uh, add to that problem. But, I mean, the Bulls are getting someone who takes a lot of his shots from the three-point line, which is something this team desperately needs. Pretty much after Justin Holiday left... The Bulls really lost their high-volume three-point shooter, so for someone like Otto Porter to come in who shoots about 40% of his shots from the three-point line, he's obviously going to make an impact from that point of view. Super efficient player, so I kind of get I, I get the idea of why you would add Otto Porter, but I, I, I just keep coming back to the same point. Or this, I haven't necessarily made this point yet, but this underlying point that I have in my head that maybe Otto Porter is the right player for this team, but just at the wrong time. Do you sort of get where I'm going with that? That maybe in, maybe in a year or two, maybe this version of Otto Porter would be a much better fit with the, for a a 
a rebuilding Bulls team that's maybe had a, a couple of years to sort of gel and is coming on the way up rather than sending someone like Otto Porter, who's a, a heavy reliant player on those around him, sending him to a bad team like the Bulls. I just I just wonder if this isn't the best perf- or isn't the best time to be sending a player like Porter to a team like the Bulls. Yeah, I think it's a fair worry, but I mean, my my big thing it would be just that he's signed for two more years, um, and you know he will be his contract when his contract is up, he'll be twenty seven going into his age twenty eight season, which you know the Bulls will have his bird rights. I still think he'll be a pretty good player, and depending on what the Bulls have put around him at that point. Uh, you know, he could be somebody that you do want to sign to another contract. Maybe not at quite the number that he's at, but, you know, maybe the cap's gone up or whatever and you keep him around the same number and with the cap going up, it's less of a hit. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I I don't think, he, because he is kind of reliant on other people to set him up, I think that he's not going to, like, screw up, you know, the Bulls pick uh, the, the last part of this year I don't because I don't think the Bulls have been so bad that I you know Otto Porter is not going to all of a sudden make them world beaters or, or turn them into a team that starts you know even winning all that many more games the over this home stretch of the season um so I don't think he's going to screw up their tank this year I think that um you know I don't think that the Bulls are necessarily planning on tanking next year. I don't. I honestly don't think the Bulls are trying to tank this year, but they just built a bad roster because they're bad at their jobs. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I, I say that sincerely. Like, I, they're just they. No, I, I not, completely yeah, agree. With you. I they, completely agree. They have not shown themselves to be to be very good at this. All that said, like, I, I like this move, and I've, I've liked uh, most of the trades that they've made um, so far. You know this season uh i even like you know we kill the bulls ownership for being the financial champs and all of that and we should because you know it's lame they're the in the third largest media market in the country and they have no other competition unlike the new york teams and the la teams um and they have this huge uh international uh, fan base because of the Jordan era and they make money hand over fist and they, you know, operate it like a, a mom and pop shop. Um, so the ownership deserves criticism for that. But if the ownership is as penny pinching as we know that they are, uh, and we want to get a new coach in here, you know, I, I, I think that it's um, to the Bulls credit that they, uh, their management was able to go out and, uh, get the maximum amount of cash considerations. Shout out to uh, Ricky and Jason, <laughs> name of their <laughs> podcast. But they were able to get enough in cash considerations that they should be able to pay off Fred Hoiberg's contract for next year with that money, so that they can, you know, go out and even if Fred doesn't get another job in the NBA, uh, they can go out and pay that contract and have it net out as you know no different. And they can go get a real coach and fire Boylan because he is awful. Um, and so, you know, they've set themselves up to the point now where they actually can have that management buy-in that they talk about to to make a move to improve the team. It's terrible that the Bulls' ownership is the way that they are and they require that, uh, that they don't just do what's best for the organization regardless of the cost. Um, but, 
you know, operating within within those constraints. They got some second round picks. the The Justin Holiday trade was a complete win. Uh, Wayne Selden looks like he's actually better than Justin Holiday, <laughs> um, like at least in a Bulls uniform. Uh, and they also got two second round picks out of the, out of the thing. And then they got all the other deals that they did for, for cash. So, um, and then this deal, which I've already, you know, kind of gone through why I think it's a, it's a winner. Um, you know, Otto Porter is 25 years old. He's a good basketball player. He's only signed for two more years. It's, I don't think it's that bad of a contract. I understand why the wizards wanted to get off of it because they're basically stuck paying John Wall his deal and, uh, they have to shed money somewhere for a team that's not that good. Uh, but, you know, I, I like it. I like it for the Bulls. I And, you know, I, I feel weird uh, singing the praises of uh, the Bulls front office right now. But, um, you know, they got themselves into a pretty bad situation. They built a team that was never going to win, but they didn't understand that. <laughs> but they've uh, adjusted fairly well, I would say. Um, now they just have to not screw it up this offseason. Well, let me ask you this, and I somewhat ask this facetiously, but do you think that we grade the Bulls on a curve to the point where they make somewhat of a decent move, just in our own eyes, based on all the errors that they've made over the years, that that sort of enhances the move that they do make, like the random good moves that they do make? Like you mentioned the Selden deal or or the holiday deal for the two seconds and getting back Wayne Selden. That's like obviously a good trade, but do you think we are... We maybe pump up the value of that trade, given that it's probably just a normal routine NBA trade for for most front offices, but for the Bulls because they make something that they make a deal that we're not necessarily expecting that we that we're, that we're sort of left here stunned and and somewhat praising these guys because they've gone out and actually made a positive move, one that we probably were never going to expect happening. Yeah, I think we definitely do grade the Bulls on a curve. I think that's absolutely true. Um, they had a run where they were so bad for so long that I think, you know, they made, it seemed like every deal that they made was terrible. I think, I want to say that the starting point of it, and it it might even go back further than this, but the, the, the point where I felt like things really started to go off the rails was that Doug McDermott trade um, on draft night, which I had a complete, complete meltdown about. Um, And uh, ever since then, um, it felt like it, no matter what they did, it was the wrong move, whether it was, uh, you know, not surrounding Jimmy Butler with shooters trading away or letting the shooters that they did have on the roster walk for nothing. Uh, you know, that, that includes letting Etwan Moore walk and then signing Rajon Rondo, somebody who doesn't shoot well, um, and needs the ball putting that player next to somebody like Jimmy Butler just doesn't make sense. Um, Trading away Tony Snell for Michael Carter Williams, who's like Rajon Rondo, except for worse and bad in general. Um, And yeah, like just over and over and over again, it seemed like they made the wrong move. Um, You know, signing Dwayne Wade uh, well past his expiration date, uh, you know, Jabari, (laughs) can't forget him. Yeah, doing the Jabari deal this summer. Even like, to to me, probably matching the Levine deal. Although, you know, I think Levine... at the very least, has been a as as advertised as a scorer this year. I still think he's not really a winning player. Um, he hasn't really been in a great situation to prove that wrong. Uh, but it's also now a lot of years of evidence of him, you know, being a negative impact guy because 
he scores but doesn't really give you much else. Um, and those players tend to get paid but not really actually help you. Uh, and so, but it just felt like over and over and over again the Bulls were would make the wrong moves. So one thing that they had been doing well was um, at the top of the draft, nailing their draft picks, drafting Lowry Markkinen and drafting Wendell Carter. Like those guys both seem to be obviously uh, turning out to be the um, the best available players at the place where the Bulls were drafting. So they were at least getting that right, um, which is not nothing. But then for, you know, so far this year, it really seems like, you know, the all the little marginal transactions, uh, you know, the cash considerations transactions are annoying, um, but they do give them the capital to go, you know, replace Hoiberg. Firing Hoiberg was, I think, dumb uh, and petty and a lot of other things, but um, having, you know, let him go, they do need to replace him as a coach. And I think they've probably seen enough now and ownership has probably seen enough now to know that he's not the guy moving forward. So I think that probably had something to do with um, getting all that cash. Maybe I'm just being optimistic. Maybe they just, you know, wanted the cash because they like cash. Um, that's also possible. Uh but uh, yeah, I mean the the Otto Porter deal is I think uh, it's not a home run. I, I wouldn't wouldn't say that, but I just don't think that there's much opportunity cost given up. I don't think that they really gave up much in the way of assets. Um, giving up a second round pick in the deal is a little annoying, but it's like a 2023 second round pick, so I'm not that concerned about it. They have a lot of time to go get another one of those yeah, <laughs> down the line. Not but bad it is in 2023 kind of, to the point where that pick is somewhat good. But yeah. yeah, maybe they put a protection or two on it, but we'll, we'll never know. But yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you, you've raised all good points, and, and it's hard for me to sort of go back against them. And I, I guess I think another added aspect to bringing in someone like Porter Jr. as well that the Bulls can maybe potentially play some smaller lineups now, where you can throw out Wayne Seldon and Otto Porter Jr. in the front court with maybe Wendell Carter Jr. You know, next season, obviously not this season, given he's out injured, or even Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. Larry Markkinen rather. So. I think his versatility as a forward is something that shouldn't be overlooked either. So the Bulls don't really have that many options to play as a smaller unit, but they can do that now where they can really go all defense even and maybe throw out Chandler Hutchinson, Wayne Seldon, and Otto Porter Jr. on the perimeter. And that, that's a pretty good defensive lineup around, you know, maybe Larry Markner at the five as an example. So his versatility is something that shouldn't be underrated as well or, or not mentioned. So it would be remiss of me of not to mention that, I think, as well. Yeah, I think Porter has really good size for a uh for a wing player and can definitely scale up and play uh you know a small ball four role and still hold up defensively and um he does give you a little bit more uh versatility in that way if you're resting Wendell Carter and you want to get minutes with uh Lowry at the 5 which um you know I think there's Wanting to do that makes some sense because I don't know too many centers defensively that can stay in front of uh, Lowry when he has when he's dribbling the ball um, and he can stretch them out uh, pretty deep to the three point line so that he presents a real mismatch advantage. Um, I think maybe Draymond Green is one of the only centers that I would feel uh, good about being able to stay in front of him. Uh, and Draymond's not really a center, but he can play there. Um, but most other centers are just not going to be quick enough laterally to stay in front of somebody uh, like Lowry. And so being able to, to, you know, bump him up 
into that position and give him that kind of mismatch is something I think you can do with um, with Otto on the floor, and uh, you know then you it gives it just gives you a, a different look and gives you more options. Which the Bulls, I mean, the Bulls have so many really non uh, NBA NBA rotation guys in their rotation uh, that the more just good players they have, the more lineup versatility they're going to have. So, you know, I, I think that that's definitely a, uh, a benefit to this, but I think the, the bottom line is they have one more good player on their roster, uh, like legitimately good player, um, good at both ends of the court. Uh, that's the other thing is it's been so long since the Bulls had, had a player that was good on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I think Lowry is going to be decent defensively someday but he's not really there yet as a def- uh, as a any kind of impact defensive player um Wendell I think is an impact off, uh, defensive player already but I think his offense has has to catch up to his defense um Zach is obviously offense only um Chris Dunn is defense only. Uh, Chandler Hutchison is defense only at this point. I think he has potential to to be, you know, a nice three and D guy um, at some point. I think the shot will come, but uh, they have so many guys that are just one way guys, uh, and it's that's been an issue for this team for a while. And so to have somebody that is actually good at both ends of the court uh, and has some positional versatility, it's just, you know. They've, they've got one, finally, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good point because like the last few weeks, and this is how pathetic the situation has been for the Bulls, but for the last few weeks, well, not necessarily on the podcast, but more so on Bloggable, I've been raving about Wayne Seldon because he's able to play two-way basketball and just do the basic things that most players on this roster can't do. So it's actually a good point because Otto Porter will come in and be able to do things that we just haven't seen a Bulls small forward do. Well, not just a Bulls small forward, but just a Bulls player. He's probably one of the more complete players on the roster, if not the most complete player on the roster right now in terms of two-way play. So it's certainly a fair point to to um, to, to bring home there in terms of the Otto Porter trade today. And I, I guess the other thing though, that uh, would be remiss of me not to mention is the fact that by giving up on Jabari Parker this soon, only playing 39 games for the Bulls, the Bulls have basically sent out $60 million in both Jabari Parker and Dwayne Wade for 99 regular season games. So <laughs> I, I guess getting back Porter Jr. when that's the all you're sending out, that, that's a pretty low baseline to clear. So in that sense, I think the trade will be a success. And that's what I've got to keep bringing myself back to. Even though I can sort of pick, pick at the little bits and pieces here and there, you know, Otto Porter isn't necessarily great at getting to the free throw line or he can't necessarily create for others, etc., etc. Based on who he's been traded for, this is a good deal for the Bulls. So I have to keep bringing myself back to that point. So it's probably the best place to end it, I reckon, that the Bulls have actually managed to get themselves a decent player in return for Jabari Parker, but have also avoided the situation of losing Bobby Porters for nothing or even worse yet, paying him you know a bad contract this upcoming offseason so good deal all around for the Bulls one I didn't necessarily expect to uh, happen today but they've gone and done it so I uh, I appreciate you jumping on man and helping me digest this trade as it sort of happened I, I forgot to mention before but we're literally recording this only half an hour after the trade happened the Bulls are actually playing at the moment they're getting they've uh, been scored uh, been outscored by about 20 points or the the, the Pelicans rather on a 46 to 26 run at the moment so 
it's actually been good not to watch the balls for a change and actually focus on something a little bit more positive. So I appreciate you jumping online to uh, help me help me go through the auto-porto trade. Yeah, happy to come on. Um, I It's funny you mentioned uh, that it really just, just happened. I, you know, it's funny I was... Uh, had been checking my phone all day for news. I really wasn't expecting anything, the Bulls to do anything. Um, I went away from my phone for all of literally 20 minutes, uh, watched the second half of Jeopardy with my mom and uh, my uh, stepdad. And, you know, I, then I, I, he told, he said, the Bulls traded for Otto Porter. And I was like, what? When did that happen? And I was like, he maybe he maybe he got like hit with like uh, some kind of like fake news rumor, and he was yeah. like he was like on the Yahoo main page or something like that. And I was like, what? And then I pulled up my phone, and sure enough, there was you know a bunch of notifications about the trade, and I was like, oh my god. Uh, and then of course I checked my Twitter DMs, and there you were, re- ready to talk about it. So <laughs> it, it was you know super duper unexpected, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I think again, if we just think about it as like a free, almost a free agent transaction, uh, the Bulls have done, uh, can do, and have done much worse in free agency than signing Otto Porter to a two-year, fifty-six million dollar uh, offer uh, after his age twenty-five season. Um, that's how I'd view it, basically, and uh, I, I feel, I feel, you know, perfectly fine about that. And look, that's a perfect place to end it, actually, because we talked about before that we view the Bulls through a prism where they they do something remotely good and we think it's amazing. And you, you worded it there pretty perfectly in the sense that the Bulls could always do worse. So, <laughs> um, in that sense, this has been a great trade for the Chicago Bulls. So welcome to Otto Porter Jr. to Chicago. And Kevin, thanks for jumping on, man. I appreciate it. Happy to do it. All right, so thanks to Kevin for coming on the show. And as I said before, I didn't expect to be recording a podcast, but when the Bulls go out and make a move like this, um, I'm more than happy to talk Bulls because this is a good deal for the Bulls ultimately, even though I have my reservations. Anytime you can get back a player like Otto Porter Jr. and all it costs is someone like Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis, it's a good trade. Uh, and, and I kind of wonder if the Bulls, if for whatever reason things don't necessarily work out with Porter Jr. or just the rebuild in general, I think he has enough value where the Bulls could potentially trade someone like Porter in the offseason or even into the into next season as well. Like maybe the Bulls could actually get more value for Porter than what they gave up in a trade in, you know, 12 months time, for example, because he is a good player, a player that teams will be be more than happy to take on, particularly as his deal sort of winds down towards that last final year. So all in all, a good trade for the Bulls. I'm happy they did something and they've done something of note as well. So Shout out to the Bulls for making another good deal off the back of the Wayne Seldon slash Justin Holiday deal. They're making some good moves out here. Even those cash consideration moves, the front office is doing some okay things. So pretty good deadline here from the Bulls. I wasn't expecting much. I don't expect anything else after this. And I say that knowing that I obviously said that prior and the Bulls have gone out to make that Porter trade. But who knows what happens going forward. But I'm not expecting too much more from the Bulls. But... Who knows? But if, if this is the only move, it's an upgrade for the team. It'll be an interesting thing to see how how the, how how Porter really fits into this team, not only for the remainder of this season, but moving forward too, and, and what that means for how the rest of this rebuild shapes. So we'll find that out over the coming months of the season. So thank you for joining me on this episode of Bulls HQ, this unplanned episode of Bulls HQ, but I'm, I'm happy to have done it with Kevin and to be talking about something positive for a change. So hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed this show. We'll be back again probably next week at some stage. Be on the lookout for that. But until next time, this has been Bulls HQ. Speak to you all again then. 
Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.